This podcast is brought to you with limited interruption by Rudy Luther Toyota. Whether looking for an exciting brand new Toyota, a certified pre-owned vehicle, or getting quality routine maintenance and service for your vehicle, Rudy Luther Toyota is the place to go. Rudy Luther Toyota, the southeast corner of 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota, the Matt McNeil Show, coming in for you on your Tuesday. Matt and Patrick here. Brett will stop by in a little bit. Walker Orenstein joining us from MinPost today. We'll chat with him coming up here in the 4 o'clock hour. So, Patrick, I know you like sports. Do you like any of the superhero genre films? Any of the... Were you, did you ever grow up on the comic books? I was a DC guy. Okay. I liked the Batman films and Batman cartoons a lot when I was growing up. Well, and I think that uh, there have been some exceptional storylines. Uh, the, 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 the Long Halloween, I just uh, I read that. I was just like, wow, that was amazing. I mean, they, they, they do some very good work on the DC side, especially with uh, the Batman series. Did you watch any of the DC movies? I did. Um, I guess I don't, I'm not quite sure what era... Well, the current the current one they're in, the, you know, just the ones they've been doing with the with the Henry Cavill as Superman and Ben Affleck uh, as well, and and, and he's Ben Affleck's Batman, but now we got Robert Patterson's Batman now. But you know that that uh, Gal Gadot Wonder Woman that genre. Have you have you caught any of those? I did see the first one of uh, of uh, Man of Steel yeah. um, with Henry Cavill. That was the only one of those that I've seen. You know. Um, I watched Flash, the Flash, the Flash, that's based off the Flashpoint comic book. And did you ever read that one? Did you ever read any of the, the, the Flashpoints? I did not know. It's actually a really good story. And, 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 you know, just for your knowledge there, I'm about to geek out. Sorry, it's what I do. Uh, and by the way, just for the record, I'm actually a Marvel guy. I grew up with Captain America, Thor, the Avengers, Spider-Man, the X-Men. I'm much more in the Marvel camp. And so, I mean, I've not really been one of those people who I've got to go see the next the DC movie. I mean, I, I generally catch them on streaming services. Flashpoint was a really good comic book. And what it had to deal with is the Flash, who's the speedster, the guy that can run really fast, apparently can run so fast he actually can run backwards in time. And comes up with this idea of going back and saving his mother, which was a key event in his life. And he does so and ends up creating absolute chaos in the future just by simply doing that. And it is it, it is an excellent comic book, and they tried to adapt it for The Flash. Now, the guy who plays Flash, do you know his name off the top of your head? Uh, is this Ezra Miller? Ezra Miller, thank you. He's got, he is a bag of cats, man. <laughs> that guy has got some issues. But I think he played the Flash somewhat well. I think I, I watched the film, and once again, if you if you if you know anything about these these films, there is this entire culture now with the superhero genre of film that comes on out. And before the movie's even out, oh, it's the worst movie ever made. Oh, my God. I can't believe they didn't cast this person. I'm not cursing. It could be my girlfriend. Oh, my gosh. I'm so hot. But they didn't do it. So the movie's the worst. That sort of thing. And by the way, that's not too far off base. A lot of these people are like, wow. And, you know, it, 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 yeah, it, you didn't do it exactly the way I wanted you to do it. And hence forth, you're horrible. 
and I and I said this about last year, uh, Thor: Love and Thunder. It got kind of goofy at times, but you know there were just some people that would just I can't believe you did that. Oh my gosh, I had a, I had a. And frankly, these are people who are writing their reviews of the movie before the movie has even come on out. So I was stunned, stunned, I say, when I turned on Max, and I I caught Flash was on. And I was like, okay, I'll watch a relatively first-run movie. This was just out this summer. I do like that. I got to admit, I have to admit, movies that are on on streaming services two months after they've been released, okie dokie. Okay, it's not great. It's not great. But it's not bad, and I think Ezra Miller does an actually pretty good job. Michael Keaton comes back as the Batman, of course, the from the um, the Batman movies from the 90s, early 90s. And I thought he did an, a, a pretty good job. I mean, he mailed it in on, on one or two of the lines for sure. But I thought whoever did this really actually did some, did some good things. And I will say this. It's not as bad as the CGI and Quantumania, I mean, that was ugh, that was a little bit disturbing. But it wasn't good CGI. But overall, the story was pretty good, and I liked it. And it's a shame because I think that so many people, this is the, the mob mentality towards some of this stuff. And and it's and it's this 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 version of reviewing which it's loved it hated it loved it hated it loved it hated it and there's no nuance to anything, it's it's the greatest thing that ever lived to it's the worst thing ever made and there's no middle ground at all. The movie actually was somewhat entertaining and as a f- summer film, I kind of regret not seeing it in the movies. I will say, there's a moment in the film where they do a bunch of cameos from past versions of the DC stuff, uh, it was kind of a reach. It was, it, was, it was kind of a reach. And frankly, you left a lot of people out. <laughs> I'm just going to say it. And you probably should have not. I mean, you're going to do this, you know, go for the gusto. If you learn anything from the Spider-Man movies, it's, you know, don't, don't do it halfway. Do it the whole way and off you go. Bon appetit. But it wasn't bad. And it just, it's, I think it's unfortunate because there just is this this culture in Hollywood right now and reviewing. And, you know, it's, it's I think the, the art of reviewing movies, the art of reviewing albums, the art of reviewing television is dead. And I really think that. I just, I think that there is almost no nuance to it. That there's there is just such opinion. I mean, and I think part of the problem is is that this stuff, especially in the movie genre, we know a lot about these movies before the movies come on out. I I I've told people I said I remember when when um, I was a kid in the summer, and my friend said, "Let's go see a movie." So which one do you want to go see? And he said, "Ghostbusters." I said, "I don't want to go see a horror film." <laughs> He said, "Have you heard anything about it? It's supposed to be a comedy." And we all were like, "Okay, we've seen some trailers, but that was it." That was, I think that was the last movie I went to. I had no idea what was it. And then, by the way, a good movie to walk into that you had no clue what it was. I remember they, uh, the, the, and I've talked about this before. I remember the line is like, no human being would stack books like this. <laughs> I realized, okay, this is going to be good. Um, but, you know, the, the, I just think that the, the art of reviewing this stuff is just so lost on the people that review it today. Because it's not about what they think about the movies. 
It's what I wish they would have done. They didn't do it exactly as I said, and I had it. Or they did. They cast someone I love, so I love it. And, and it just is like, okay, stop. Because the movie's not bad. Is it? Is it the best movie? No, it's not. It's not the best movie, but it's not the worst movie. So, you know, take it in conjunction. It's it's is it is it worth watching? I'd say so. But you know, that's you know, and once again, I'm not. I'm saying this as as a guy that's not a DC guy. You know, you put a Thor movie out there. I don't care if it's. I mean, it can be the Dark World. I'll watch it. I mean, I know. I mean, that's that one's a hard one to take down. But. You know, I you know it's it's not bad, and I and I and to a point, I think the Ezra Miller stuff didn't help, which is also interesting because they've got this problem with the, the on the Marvel side with the guy that plays Kang the Conqueror, who's got a lot of issues apparently, was the bad guy in the last Creed movie. I can't remember what his name is. Uh, anyway, but needless to say, he's got he's got some issues, and it's going to be interesting to see how Marvel, who's so far been pretty good even through the pandemic is going to be able to navigate that. So 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205 is the phone number. So I want to start off, uh, as the main topics go, with Joe the Plumber. Now, I'm going to read to you... Okay, well, let me let me explain something. Yesterday, I talked about Joe the Plumber. Who died? Uh, Sam Joseph Wurzelbacher died. He died of pancreatic cancer. It's a horrible way to go. I do not relish in his death. I do not take any joy in his death. I feel sorry for his family because they have lost a loved one. Now, that being said, I have taken a lot of grief because I factually recalled why we know Joe the plumber. I'm going to read once again from yesterday. I read a little bit of the New York Times Obituary. Here it is. Once a uh, bits, bits of it again. Samuel Joseph Wurzelbacher, who briefly became Joe the Plumber, a metaphorical American middle-class everyman, by injecting himself into the 2008 presidential campaign in an impromptu nationally televised face-off with Barack Obama over taxing small businesses, died on Sunday in his home in Campbellsport, Wisconsin, about 60 miles north of Milwaukee. He was 49 years old. Mr. Obama, then a United States senator from Illinois, was campaigning on Shrewsbury Street in a working-class neighborhood of Toledo, Ohio, on Sunday, October 12, 2008, when, and once again, this was in Ohio, not Wisconsin, where he passed away, um, when Mr. Wurzelbacher interrupted a football catch with his son in front of the yard to mosey over and ask the Democratic nominee about his proposed tax increases for some small businesses. During the cordial but largely inconclusive five-minute colloquy in front of the news cameras, Mr. Wurzelbacher said he was concerned about being subject to a bigger tax bite just as he was approaching the point where he could finally afford to buy a plumbing business, which he said would generate an income of $250,000 a year. And he made the implication is that I'm going to make all this money, but it's going to all get taxed. He's apparently thought he was going to be in a 100% tax bracket income. Uh, which, you know, well, I mean, I'm exaggerating. He was saying the vast majority of it was going to be taxed. So um, three days later, Joe the Plumber, as he was popularized by Mr. Obama's Republican rival at that point, Senator John McCain, was invoked some two dozen times during a final debate on the presidential campaign. But by Election Day, now this is just the truth, by Election Day, we discovered the image in the spotlight of a burly, bald, iron-jawed John Doe eroded as the public learned that he was not a licensed plumber. He could not work in Toledo 
only for someone with a master's license or in an outlying area. So he wasn't really even a plumber. He wasn't about to buy a $250,000 a year business and he owed $1,200 in back taxes. So once again, Joe the plumber was a fraud. I mean, he wasn't, as someone pointed out, it's like his name wasn't even Joe, it was Samuel. He went, he, you know, it, it was, he just kind of tried to portray himself as this everyday kind of, you know, you know, person. But the reality was he, his entire story, the only reason we know of Joe the plumber was a lie. And that's not a debatable fact. He lied about who he was and what he was trying to do just to try to make Barack Obama look bad because there's no other reason for him to do that unless he was trying to make him look bad. He, and he tried afterwards. I remember he tried afterwards. I was just putting on hypotheticals. No, you didn't put out a hypothetical. You portrayed yourself as someone legitimate and you weren't. He was a liar. And that's the main reason we know him. But as well, he also was an absolute, he, he said something, he did something so horrible, you cannot just sweep it under the rug. In 2012, Mr. Wurzelbacher won the Republican nomination to challenge Representative Marcy Kaptur, the Democratic incumbent in Ohio's 9th Congressional District, but was crushed in the general election. I talked about that yesterday. During that campaign, he released a video defending the Second Amendment and blaming gun control as having helped enable the Ottoman Empire to commit genocide against Armenians in the early 20th century and the Nazi Germany to carry out the Holocaust, saying guns laws had stripped the victims of both cases the ability to defend themselves. Once again, horribly wrong. Now, that all being said, again defending the right to bear arms, he wrote to the parents of the victims of a mass shooting in 2014 in Isla Vista, California, near the campus of University of California, Santa Barbara, saying, as harsh, this is a direct quote, as harsh as this sounds, your dead kids don't trump my constitutional rights. End quote. Now, I'm going to actually give a lot of conservatives out there an out. My guess is you never heard that Joe the Plumber had been lying. You probably never heard your dead kids don't trump my constitutional rights. A human being telling parents, grieving parents who had lost their children to a psychopath that their kids' lives were less than the gun that was used to kill them. You probably didn't hear any of that. Because Republican media doesn't cover this stuff. It's not only do they overemphasize any crisis with a Democrat, but they downplay any bad news for the Republicans. And I have zero doubt that some of the people, why are you talking about this? This isn't true. Yes, it is. It's exactly true. The only reason you know about Joe the plumber is because he lied. That is his cause de celeb. That's, 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 that's why he's a celebrity. That's why he was on the stage. A lie. So, you know, Bill Buckner, um, you know, bring in a baseball term. Correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Patrick. Bill Buckner was the guy for the Boston Red Sox that the ball went between his legs, right? Yep, that's right. Is there any chance on the planet 
in the history when he does pass away, because I don't think he has he passed away. I don't think Buckner has. I thought Bill Buckner may have died. He, he might have died. What, that's right. And when they did, what was the first thing that he mentioned about him? That the ball went through his, his legs. legs. That's that's why he's known. Doesn't mean he wasn't a good baseball player. He was actually a pretty decent baseball player. Doesn't mean he 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 didn't grow the best roses. I don't know what Bill Buckner did. I he could have. But you you generally when someone passes away, you created the celebrity for yourself and then you basically get upset when people quote the celebrity that they indeed themselves created at the obituary of the individual. That's you know, you don't go to your, I guess I don't know what did the how did the Republicans, you know, cover Jeffrey Epstein, close buddy of Donald Trump dies? I mean, it's how how did you cover that? The monster is dead or was killed. You I mean depending on how you want to look at it. I've got questions, frankly. But you don't just negate he's got wife and kids, Matt. He died of pancreatic cancer. Do you know how stressful that is? His wife and kids are grieving. And all you're doing is dancing on his grave. No, I'm not dancing on his grave. But since you brought it up, since you guys brought up what a horrible way it is, and pancreatic cancer isn't indeed a horrible way to go. And the fact that the think of the family members. Let me think about this for a second. You know where I'm going. Hmm. Let me stroke the old shin here. Did any single one of you ever condemn Joe the plumber when he went out there and after the children near the University of California, Santa Barbara, were gunned down in an incredibly horrible way to die, a violent, horrific way to die? When their families were grieving and feeling sad at that point, did you ever once go over to Joe the plumber and say, dude, hey, I'm with you, but what are you doing? No, of course you didn't. You went out there and said, he just told the truth, man. He just telling the truth. Because you're all massive freaking hypocrites. And that's all you're, you're giddy at the idea. Oh my God. I had one person say, we're going to dance in your grave. I said, man, dude, I already know the Republican party, the Christian right is already gleefully waiting for my obituary so they can dance and dance and dance. And as a matter of fact, there it is. The ultimate proof of their hypocrisy is there. You can't, no, not the, the families, man, a horrible way to go. Hopefully this is a long time down the road, but the reality is that's who these people are. Can't wait for the the tolerant right, the Christian right, when Jimmy Carter passes away. You know that they're, they've been drafting social media posts for the last two years on that one. No, you are, first of all, I'll give you the out. I bet you most of you had no idea he was lying his butt off when he confronted Barack Obama, that it was a setup. I also will buy it. Maybe you're not from Ohio or you don't pay much attention to politics that you didn't realize the horrible thing he said to the parents of the victims of a gun massacre. But the reality is, is at no point do you guys ever show the, the same level of decency that you respect. I do. I feel sorry for the family. I don't think pancreatic cancer is a good way to go. I do feel sad. But this is what the guy did. 
This is what his legacy is. This is why we know him. He lied about being Joe the plumber just so he could confront Barack Obama. And then he said this horrible thing when he ran for office. He, Bill Buckner had let the baseball go between his legs. That's what you get known for. That's what you get known for. And he encouraged us to know about him this way. So don't come back to me. Don't you dare come back to me and act as if, how dare you? No, you guys, you're the ones who giggle and chortle anytime a Democrat dies. And for the most part, to be fair, there are Democrats out there who are out there gleefully excited when a Republican dies. And don't do that. Don't be like that. But I'm being consistent. Not what Republicans are. Consistent. No, I, I how dare I have to put I have to put Joe the plumber up on on Rushmore. I've got to call the Vatican and get him, you know, greenlit for sainthood. No, the dude lied about who he was. And then he said that horrible thing about about the the victims of a gun massacre. Feel sorry for him? Feel sorry for his family. I don't relish anyone's death, but I'm sure not going to basically omit what the guy is known for just because you know we don't the republicans don't want you ruining the, ruining their 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 ideology on the guy their mythology about him well that's because you guys only watch far right news and you don't get the truth that's not on me that's on you 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. Come on back. I got another interesting thing that happened today, and I want to tie this into some great articles that Blue Stem Prairie has been doing. I'll talk about that when I come back. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. The Progressive Voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. By the way, pulling up Bill Buckner's, he did indeed pass away in 2019. Bill Buckner, forever known in the 1986 World Series era. That's that's literally his obituary. It's a feel sorry for the guy to a point, but that's what he's known for. Joe, why aren't you talking about Joe the Plumber's ability to do macrame? Because he wasn't known for that. And like I said, I think the large part of the problem is you guys don't ever watch anything. I looked at the Fox News obituary on Joe the Plumber. No mention of the fact that he lied about his background. No mention of I mean, they mentioned his campaign, but they didn't mention his comment about how you know the the dead kids were less important than the gun that killed them. Basically, so yeah. Nine five two nine four six six two zero five. It's interesting that I've been dealing with this today because I had something else that happened today. I was at the Y and I'm working out. And I have, I'm, I'm talking to a friend of mine. I'm talking about the Twins game yesterday. And just out of the blue, the guy just starts talking to me and clearly wanted to have a conversation about something. I don't know if he was lonely. I don't know what it was up. I've never met this guy before. What I can describe him as a little bit. He's 70 years old, white male, seemed to have come from a professional background, at least, you know, claims to know a lot of CEOs, claims to know a lot of police departments and stuff like this. And he started coming at me in a very, a bit of a confrontational, not a really aggressive confrontational, but definitely wanting to have an, a bit of an argument. He wanted to have a bit of a discussion. I'm, and I haven't done this. And by the way, this is the reason why I don't do this online. You know, you come to my page and you lob an insult at one of my, on one of my social media pages. I'm blocking you. I didn't come to you. You came to me. You want my attention. You're not worth it. And that's just that. So... 
And I don't have the time. I don't, trust me, I don't have the time to deal with all you clowns on the far right. I just don't. You're just kind of pathetic. Anyway, this guy comes in, he starts in, and he, he's talking. For some reason, we get into crime and how crime is so bad. Man, listen, it's all important in here. And I just start knocking down his points. Now, I want to make sure you understand something. I do this for a living, okay? I am a 32-year radio broadcaster. Uh, I've been doing talk radio since 1997, I, I trust me, politicians are some of the hardest people to get straight answers out of. I talk with them all the time. I know how to cut through these things. You know, I, it, it is, it's something I, I am, I, I do with regularity. I'm a professional interviewer, basically, professional radio host. I, I make arguments. I make cases. That's what I do. I have to know my facts because trust me when I say this, if I screw up and I say something that's wrong, oh, I'll hear about it and I'll hear about it even more from the left than I will the right. So I've got to be pretty damn good at this business just to do this business. There sometimes are guys that will walk into a bar and they'll say, you used to play major league baseball. I bet I could hit you. (laughs) The guy will go, oh, really? And there was, that was a case. I, there was a, a major league baseball player that basically, uh, I'm getting a lot of baseball references in today. Um, it, it basically was in a bar and some guy, some guy said, well, I, I hit 520 in my beer league softball league. I can hit you. And the guy looked at him and says, I'll throw you three pitches. If you even touch it, if you even foul one of them off, I'll give you a thousand dollars. And it was he's it, it, the the way it was described um, in the article was I remember the guy got the two strikes on him. the guy was nowhere near the ball just you know swinging at flies and it, after the second strike and he realized he was about to get on and all of a sudden it's like well, you know I had a beer earlier and this is not my regular bat and you know I I shouldn't be wearing this shirt and all of a sudden the excuses came on out and they started jumping all over the, he started trying to jump all over the place of course he. Missed wildly on a third strike, and that was the end of that. Because this guy was dumb enough to say to himself, I'm going to go up against a professional Major League Baseball pitcher. If you throw a fastball for 32 years, I guarantee you, you're going to have a pretty good fastball. And this guy had no chance. Now, that being said, I don't necessarily compare myself to a Major League Baseball player, but I have done this for a while. If you're not used to basically, if you're just used to talking to people who echo your own talking points, a lot of time when someone actually confronts you with the truth, it's a very difficult sandwich to swallow. And that's exactly what started happening where I, he sort of started said, it's like, well, Minneapolis is exporting all of its crime to Minnetonka. and Uh, Is the crime happening in Minnetonka? Because if it's happening in Minnetonka, it's Minnetonka crime. And you blaming Minneapolis is basically, you know, not solving the problem. You know, what do you want to do? You want to put a gate around Minneapolis? People have to have a collar on before they go anywhere? We have to have GPS tracking of all Minneapolis people? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, I'm not saying that. And I said, I can can go with the screw. There was just a a guy shot his wife up in uh, Rosso County. You know, that's rural. That seems pretty dangerous to me. 
<coughs> let alone how the other cases, I mean, the three police officers that were shot in the one raid on the guy's house. There's, there's danger everywhere. He, he then came on out and um, tried to argue that, and by the way, Target Corporation, uh, by the way, I, I don't think this guy was, you know, I'll just go to say this, but Target Corporation, I want to let you know what he said. One of your executives told him that you're not going downtown because you're trying to save money on retail space, nor are you not going back town because you're trying to stay competitive in this modern day work environment where you need to offer remote work for people. No, you're not going down. All the Target executives have told or the Target executive told him that the reason why that that you're not going to target you're going downtown again is because the crime is so horrible. It's the worst, it's the worst crime ever. It's horrible. There's stabbings outside the building every day. That sort of thing. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit from what he said, but that's what he was saying. So, Target, you need to actually explain to us: are you not going downtown because crime, which is down dramatically in the city of Minneapolis, is somehow out of control? Because that's what he says. Because he's living in a narrative that basically that that Everything bad is black people, Minneapolis crime. And that's kind of that, that bubble that they live in. And it got comical. It got comical when he says to me, well, in the 1950s, we were so much more unified, of course. And what? And I, and I, I said, and, and he's like, we were so much more unified together. It's like, well, unless you were black. And, and he, he got livid with me. But it's the truth. You know, it's like, well, unless you are a minority or a gay or women, uh, let's be honest. But, you know, white guys, yeah, sure, go team go. You know, uh, no, the 50s were not this unified moment. Well, and, and then he says, but I've got a black friend. And I'm like, okay, this is not about whether or not you have a black friend. It's the fact that you said in the 1950s we were all unified. And I very quickly pointed out, no, we weren't. <laughs> We weren't even close because we never really are unified. This whole trope of things were so much better back when is just a made-up imaginary thing to try to convince your people that things are bad now. And we can go through any time in history and find really bad conditions for people, including today, including today. So I, I basically did this. And, and okay, so I, I clearly had two, two strikes across the plate because that's when he, he did what every conservative who starts getting their ass handed to him by myself does, and that is, well, you know, uh, uh, crime rate and, and, and you know, carjackings and, and, and you, know, you know, taxing the wealthy and, 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 and all these things. He, just, he, could, he was jumping around to topic to topic because – he kept trying to throw something out there. I would immediately smack him back. He would then have to jump to another topic just because he had to get away from that one because, God forbid, he actually had to admit he was wrong about something and go to another thing. That's the strike three. And that's when I said to him, I was like, I got to go. I got other things to do. I don't have time to deal with you just trying to find some way, somehow, that you can basically beat me in an argument because you've already lost. You've already you've swung a 50 times, and you're, you're not going to hit a damn thing. But the the main thing, the reason I, I brought this up is because this was not rural Minnesota. This was not, you know, outstate. This is Minnetonka. This was out in Minnetonka, where supposedly we're not 
having people who are so blinded by reality that they they make up their own version of it to 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 make to make the narrative they want to be true to be true. And yet that's where we are. And you say to yourself, well if that's what's going on in Minnetonka, what's going on in outstate Minnesota? And you're not going to believe it, but outstate Minnesota's gone to crazyville. I'm going to talk about that because Blue Stem Prairie has some very good stories on that. We'll take a break. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. The progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil show. It is really remarkable. I mean, this is kind of it's from that same vein of the people that whenever Minneapolis is ranked number one, no, it's not. Unless it's a bad category, it's the worst place ever to live. That's 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 kind of that same vein. And it really is remarkable because they don't even listen to their arguments. And once again, this is not some guy on a compound out in the reddest part of the freaking state. This is this is a guy at the 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 the, the Y in in Minnetonka for God's sakes. This is just some guy who basically is you know supposedly living in a little bit more of an enlightened society, and yet still thriving on. Arguments which, frankly, my my daughters could punch a hole into with a semi. It's, it's, crime is horrible. You got to do all these horrible things. They're horrible people. You got to you got to hold them accountable. And I'm like, I said, no. and I and the thing which was funny is he's well, no, of course you have to hold people accountable. But but you're not holding them accountable enough. Like what? You want a public execution? You know, if if that's the sort sort of is that what we we're, we're at? Because I can tell you right now. It's not going to work. And, and like he said, he was like, well, there are people now running around the streets of Los Angeles just violently attacking people. Are you mean, are you mean when they like hit a store and they take all the stuff? No, they're just, they violently go out and beat people in the street. It's like, dude, you need to stop watching the freaking OAN Newsmax Fox News tri- trifecta, okay? You need to, because that's all they're doing. You're not watching real news. They're, you're watching basically parroted news. That's all you're doing. But this was, once again, this is Minnetonka. So, Blue Stem Prairie, which, by the way, if you're not following, fantastic. Sally Jo Sorensen, excellent journalist. She is covering a lot of news out in the outstate part of the state. And a few weeks ago, last week, actually, Blue Stem Prairie posted about a public event sponsored by the local Minnesota Republican Party units featuring extremist and conspiracy theorists. There was West Central Minnesota Republican Senate District BPOU's sponsored sheriff Richard Mack, that was the, uh, um, the the same day as Associated Press published a right-wing sheriff's group that challenges federal law is gaining acceptance in the country. This is That's the Constitutional Sheriff's Peace Officer Association. I talked about that a little bit. These are the guys that say, the founding fathers wanted the sheriffs to be able to shoot the president in the head. <laughs> okay, I'm exaggerating it, but not by much. They basically, their argument is the highest authority in the land is the Fillmore County Sheriff, you know, that kind of thing. And it's stupid. No, it's like really stupid. It's actually legally been challenged and uh, it's failed miserably against it because no, that's not the case. But because people out there have been told, ah, 
They are turning to these outrage. And that's part of the reason. You basically could tell these people in outstate Minnesota, ah, all the time. Then they start saying, well, maybe we should allow the sheriff to just start gunning down all the, the Democrats in the state. You know, that sort of argument. That's kind of where they're going with it. Uh, anyway, now, and once again, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much. That's kind of the way they feel. I don't think I have to follow the laws of the state of the job that I ran for office to obey the laws of the state. Never mind. Anyway, they, that, that group uh, welcomed in. Uh, a, a, a loon ball there. They're not sure why the Republican Party units, the Senate District 12, Senate District 13, and Senate District 14 think this would uh, build the party brand in the area of that trifecta, but that's kind of what they thought that was a good idea. Then there was part two of their her stories out there, Minnesota Republicans, BPOU party units, normalizing extremist conspiracy theories. They explored Republican Senate Districts 13 and 14, Presenting anti-agenda 12 Bircher conspiracy theorist Tom DeWeese. Okay. But as the Fillmore and Goodyear County Republicans flyer for the special event posted above demonstrates, their peers elsewhere in greater Minnesota may have been left in the dust in the general wackadoolism in Mabel on Monday. Now, Blue Stem Prairie puts out this little thing. They believe that trafficking, uh, human trafficking, including sex trafficking, is a problem indeed. Many of our neighbors have... Here on the Lake Traverse Reservation, still mourn family members lost and have been active in the missing and murdered indigenous relatives uh, group. But Speaker Kathy O'Brien's story is another matter. <laughs> this is and this is this is the third one. This is Kathy O'Brien's coming to Mabel, Minnesota, the Mabel Community Center on um, you know, this Monday here. She had this this past Monday. She was there. Um. She, I'm just going to read this because even Wikipedia put something in here to make the argument that this doesn't make any sense. It, uh, Kathy O'Brien is an American conspiracy theorist and author who claims to have been a victim of a government mind control problem, program, program called Project Monarch, which she alleges was part of the CIA's Project MK Ultra. O'Brien made these assertions in Trace Transformation of America in 1995 and Axis denied the reasons for national security 2004, both of which she co-authored and self-published with her husband, Mark Phillips, according to the scholars. By the way, there is no credible evidence for O'Brien's claims, and there are numerous inconsistencies with her story. Uh, O'Brien claims that as a child, she was uh, sexually abused by her father, as well as a network of child pornographers, supposedly was then forced into the CIA by the CIA to participate in Project Monarch, which she claimed is a subsection of Project MK Ultra and Project Artichoke. Artichoke? According to O'Brien, under hypnosis, she was able to recall memories of sexual abuse of both herself and her daughter by international pedophile rings, drug barons, and Satanists who allegedly used a form of trauma-based mind control programming to make her a sex slave. Okay. Um, Brian accuses a wide range of prominent individuals from American, Canadian, Mexican, and Saudi government officials to stars of the country music scene of being part of Product Monarch's community. Because, I mean, I'll tell you what, when I think of two groups of people that get together, Saudi government officials and the country music stars, I mean, those two are hand in hand. Um, as part of the product modern conspiracy to operate sex slave rings and commit child sex abuse. For example, O'Brien claims that George H.W. Bush 
and Miguel de la Madrid used holograms to appear to her in altered forms. Yes, holograms saying that Bush apparently activated a hologram of the lizard-like alien, which provided the illusion of Bush, tra Bush transforming like a chameleon before my eyes. In retrospect, I understand that Bush had been painstakingly careful in positioning our seats in order that the hologram effectiveness to be maximized. Okay. O'Brien claims Project Monarch caused her to develop multiple personality disorder, but during alternate personality episodes, she has photographic recall. Okay. Religious and political scholars have criticized O'Brien claims for their lack of any supporting evidence. David G. Robertson characterized them as symptomatic, uh, symptomatic uh, of baseless moral panic and noted that no one has ever been prosecuted for such crimes, nor has ever any corroborating material evidence ever been produced. According to the scholar Michael Barkin, scholar... Lee and journalistic treatments of MK Ultra make no mention of a Project Monarch. Barkin describes O'Brien's account as sensational, even by the standard of conspiracy literature, and notes that even black helicopter conspiracy theory, Jim Keith considered it fraudulent and delusional. Jody Dean cited O'Brien's claims as an example of conspiracy theorists' tendency to excessively leaps of the imagination and willingness to deviate from common sense. I talked about this with the guy who is in um, Sound of Freedom, uh, the, the actor, Henry uh, Cavill. And he talked about how he'd seen, I've seen videos of these kids being tortured and at the point of their death, they take the endochrome out of them. And you've seen this and you did not call the police? Well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, boy, she sounds like fun. Uh, and I, you, you have to ask the question of the Fillmore and Houston County Republican Party. How in the hell did you bring this person in? But it does bring out a very interesting argument that this, this is where the Republican Party is going. They, they don't care about, you know, reading scores and pollutants in the water. They don't care about the price of crops. They don't care about anything. They have made up all of these fantastical things that, that, that happen, and that's what they're going off of. And this is kind of, when I'm talking to the guy, a, a guy, you know, retired guy, looks like a retired guy, 70 years old, executive, probably an executive, maybe a business owner in Minnesota, and he's putting forward easily punch-through arguments on crime, black people, Minneapolis, ah! Does it surprise anyone that when you get out to these places where this stuff is unfettered, that they're bringing in anyone? We could probably make up someone who is just a loonball extremist. And I would bet you we could get at least four or five speaking engagements with outstate Republicans. <laughs> Maybe we should. It's this is crazy, but this is where we're at, which gets me back to a point I've been making for a few months now. And I'm going to come back to I'll come back after the break and I'll make this point again. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. It's the Matt McNeil show right here on AM 950. Outfront Minnesota is the state's largest LGBTQ plus advocacy organization, and they're celebrating our state's accomplishments protecting our LGBTQ. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So, DFL, what are you doing? Um, you've had a, a sensational year. 
Um, this clearly far-right extremism is running feral in rural Minnesota. And it's running in, and it's coming into these suburbs. Now, granted, I don't necessarily think 70-year-old retirees are going to necessarily be the influential swing you know, argument for Generation Z or Generation X or the, uh, the um, millennials. But necessarily, you need to start thinking to yourself about selling yourself because you're doing exactly what I was concerned you were going to do. You sit and pat yourselves on the back and you say, everybody's going to know what we did. <laughs> well, it's a few months later. And there's a lot of Republicans who are convinced, Republican voters, especially in outstate Minnesota, who are convinced that anything that's good that's happening in outstate Minnesota is only happening because Republicans somehow Jedi mind trick the Democrats to including it in their bill. And Republicans can go into this area because these people have been so damn brainwashed at this point. And they have. They've been so damn brainwashed that a, that, that a Republican politician can go into this area and say, I proudly voted against this bill, but I included all the stuff I wanted to get in there before I voted against it. And they'll be like, he's the hero. They don't, they don't even hear themselves anymore because they don't care about who's actually getting them you know, paid sick leave and family leave and, and protecting their rights and free school lunch. They don't care about that. They don't care about free mar the, the legalized marijuana. Not free. Legalized, not free. Legalized. They don't care about that stuff because the rest of the time when they start thinking about maybe this is a good idea, what are these Republicans doing? Well, here's some delusional psychopath to talk to you about how the alien lizard creatures have told them that the sheriff should be able to round up and arrest any Democrat whenever they want to. And they're bringing in this extremism. And part of the reason why they're bringing in this extremism is to make themselves look like they're moderates with their extremism. As I said with this one woman, even one of these, these like extremist guys, these black helicopter, black ops guys that are out there screaming think that this woman's nuts. So why in the hell would the Fillmore and Houston County Republicans bring them in? Well, because bringing in such psychopaths make them look like moderates. Well, I'm not like crazy Larry over here. So DFL, you need to stop basically patting yourselves on the back you need to get out there from the suburbs all across the state you need billboards you need a campaign you need to fight because i'll tell you what republicans are quick to take credit for all you did hour two that's up next hour number two of the show here on your Tuesday, Matt and Patrick. Brett stepping on into the studio. Hi, Brett. How are you today? I'm doing good. How about you? All right. Have you been to the fair yet or no? No, not All yet. Right. I was thinking about it yesterday, but probably going to be shooting for the weekend. Maybe Friday. Is there what? What's the food item of, of all the new ones? What, what, is there one you've pegged? That he's like, no, I got to try that one. Ah, not really. No. Really? I mean, I'll still get the typical you're sweet Martha the, cookies, oh, obviously. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you mean the vat of nine hundred? Yeah, oh, yeah. for six dollars, delicious. <laughs> I still don't understand the math of that place, but uh, I got, yeah, I always have to be careful. Here's the evilness of the French fry place. It's like, I'll have the $5 fry 
for one more dollar, I'll get you this industrial steel drum that the Breaking Bad guys could hide a body in. And I was like, I don't need that many. Well, although they do have the salt and vinegar, and I'm a big fan of that. So, <laughs> so, uh, so okay, you're going to do Sweet Martha's. Mm-hmm. What else? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm, you can do Prontos? Prontos. Prontos. I'll probably do some Pronto Puffs. Yeah. yeah okay. Hit the fry stand. Yeah. All right. There you go. I'm, Mostly just going to be kind of wandering around trying to not eat a ton of food, but uh, yeah, I'll definitely be doing this. What's wrong with you? Not <laughs> eat a ton of food? You're going to the state fair, man. Wait. Well, I don't want to be going home and having to recover for like three days. What are you, from- Canadian? <laughs> <laughs> you come with a conscience to this place? No, 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 no. Uh, it's you- a plan. I didn't say I'm executing <laughs> it a plan. A good plan. All right, so I'm going to try. I'll, I'll let you know. I'll, I'll text you. I'll let you know how the fried green tomato sandwich is. Mm. That, and the one I'm most interested in is the sweet corn day, and I'm going to try that one. And then I'm going to try the Irish burnt butter uh, ice cream. I'll try all three of those. I'll let you know if any of them are like, oh, yeah, go try that. Okay. Mm-hmm. But reminder about, are, are you, you're not going to do the pickle pizza, are you? No, probably not pickle pizza. If they're going to do a pickle pizza, it's going to be good crust, good sauce, good pickles. Mm, not really. I hate saying it, but I don't. I don't know. It's I don't like, really picture. Oh, let's put some pickles on my pizza. I don't know about that. Actually, I will say this: I like when you can get sauerkraut sometimes on your pizza. That's delicious. Mm. Yeah, very Midwestern thing. <laughs> it's like you know. I know that anyone's listening in New York right now is like, "What the heck you just say?" I'm going to come over there and beat you. Uh, so uh, we are about to get yet another brand new sports team here in town: the Professional Women's Hockey League. Now, I have to admit, I like what they're doing here because there's a throwback to the NHL that they're doing here. Six franchises. Six. That's it. Uh, Franchises based in NHL markets, three in the United States, three in Canada, with track records of supporting the women's games. Boston, New York, Tri-State, Metro Area, and Minneapolis, St. Paul, where the U.S. sites selected for home games yet to be named teams. The Canadian franchises will be based in the nation's three longest northeast, largest northeastern centers, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, the original six in the NHL, it wasn't Minneapolis, it was Chicago, wasn't it? Correct, Chicago, yeah, Chicago yeah. New York, New York, Boston, Toronto, Montreal, who am I missing? Detroit. Detroit, Detroit thank you. So, I like this idea. Patrick, you cover a lot of hockey here. You know, I think that this is a good way to go. It's going to have... What is it? A twenty-four game schedule, so it's not like they're just playing twelve games. They're going to have a full season. I think that's a good way to start off. Absolutely, I agree with that. I haven't read too many into the details of this, other than seeing that the Twin Cities was awarded a team. So I'll have to check more into this. Is Detroit just not Detroit and Chicago just not that good of hot spots for women's hockey? I can buy New York. New York's just big. I mean, they have, like, good cricket in New York. Even New like, York would kind of concern me just because there's so much going around there. It'd, mm. it'd be tough to, you know, get people maybe to attend those games with just how much is going on in New York. That would be my only concern there. The other markets sound like Boston, good Boston, Boston, Minnesota. Boston's got a lot yeah. of women's hockey. I could make an argument Denver might be a good alternative, mm-hmm. too, because Denver's got a lot of oh, yeah. women's Denver hockey out there. Yeah. Um, I would say this, though. I mean, of all the cities in the upper in, in the United States— if I was thinking of where's the best hotbed for women's hockey, it's got to be Minneapolis, St. Paul, Minnesota. I it's got to be. Yeah. I think they made a smart move starting small as well because, like, the WNBA kind of made the mistake early in their years. They expanded too much, and then they had to eliminate a few teams. So I think it's good to start small and then expand as you need to. I think it's a good format to start with. The PWHL also announced that each team will have a 10-day window to sign three free agents through September 10th. Before holding a 15-round draft on September 18th, teams can sign no more than 20 players to contracts before training camps open. 20 players, that's you're not, you're not even having four lines there, really, are you? With, let's say, two goalies? 
Yeah, I'm thinking. Yeah, what you yeah, normally yeah. have six to def- yeah. It's, yeah, it's, you're, uh, you're it's a limited def- lineup. Your defenders, you're going to have injuries. You're going to run into trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good luck, defense. I hope you guys are good for skating. Uh, teams, once again, 24 game schedule. They're expected to overlap with the women's world championships in April, with the playoff expected to run into June. So they're basically mimicking, as opposed to the WNBA, which kind of off seasons the NBA. They're trying to mimic at the same time the the NHL teams. Where's the uh, Minnesota team playing? Did they say? I'm. I don't know. I well, it's so in town here. You've got uh, Ritter. You've got Mary. Or you got uh, you got Ritter Mariucci. You got uh, X. You can play at Target. Well, I know the original women's team we had a few years ago played at the Wilds practice rink. I'm trying to think of the name <sighs> of that. It's like a 1,000 seat arena downtown St. Paul. Oh, the I covered a, rink. Yeah, I covered a few rink. games there before. Where, yeah. Where's that at? I I, I, know, I know I've heard of it, but is it is it in the the the, the convention center building over there? Oh, I'm trying to remember. Patrick, do you remember where? It's right by the XL Energy Center. It's kind of weird because it's like on an upper floor of a building. It's not actually, you know, like a traditional, you know, sports arena. Wasn't well, that the old Macy's building? It might be, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, we have to see where they're going to put this. I mean, I could make an argument, you know, if if you want to do this right, do it in a place where you're going to have good concessions. You're going Because that's what you do. I mean, it's it's an event. I mean, that's why, why I think one of the reasons why minor league baseball does well is because you can go to even a, a ballpark and you're going to get a hot dog, uh, a beer, brat, whatever you want. They're going to have it out. They'll have their specialty foods. And it becomes much more of an event as opposed to watching generally crap baseball at rookie or eight ball level. So, I mean, that's one of the things. So if you're going to do this, do it right and, you know, kind of have a little bit of an experience with it. I'd uh, be with you. Yeah, I hope they don't like put it in the XL center because that would be a tough place to sell out. I would think. It's, well, they could do it like they do with the old Metro Dome when they couldn't sell the upper deck and they oh, just put a, put a curtain around the thing. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, the outdoor, the curtain with the baseball guards <laughs> on it. Yeah, don't, just ignore all these seats up here. Yeah. Well, we're not going to have anyone. Nothing, nothing like the atmosphere of 5,000 people in a 50,000 seat building. <laughs> well, you're not going to do that, but you could Ritter. How many does Ritter Ritter seat? would be a great fit. Yeah, it's like 3,000 people. Oh, yeah. I can't believe that they, they, I imagine you probably could work out a you schedule. You could get at least there. a few thousand, you would think, per game. Yeah. And it's centralized right out there off, mm-hmm. of, right off in uh, 4th Street there. Uh, so question for you as well. Guys, both of you, especially Patrick's big on the Twins here. Am I crazy, or is this team actually looking good? They are looking pretty good, uh, and they're going to get a lot of their key guys back. So it's not even that you know they're that they've been you know this isn't it's ideally isn't even as good as the team could be. I think by Friday they're expecting Buxton could be back. Kirilov. Do could we be back. need Buxton though anymore? And I hate saying it. I know there's people that like what Matt? What are you crazy? Do we need Buxton? Because I don't know if we need Buxton anymore. Well, he is going to start playing some center field when he comes back. Not all the time, but it's expected that he and and Buxton has indicated that when he gets to be out in the field, that makes him a better player than just being the DH. He doesn't like that. Yeah, a lot, a lot more ways for him to get injured. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's, have he, has he tripped over a blade of grass and shattered his knee yet? Because I'm expecting that uh, that call to happen here. Uh, I want to give credit to our guy, uh, Mr. F- is it Funderburk? Uh, Funderburk. What a great story he was. Came up, got the call yesterday in St. Paul, comes up, plays with the Twins, gets the win, and they're cheering for him during the game. Uh, you could tell he was kind of happy with that. That, that was that, If they've got middle relievers that can go two, three innings, man, that's a huge thing. I don't want to get my hopes up, guys. <laughs> This is a team that makes no sense. I have no idea what they'll do in the playoffs. Oh, God. 
may probably lose, but as I said, if this is if there's one team that's going to advance, it's going to be a random one like this. Oh, God. Well, the team that everyone says there's no way in the world they're going to win. Yeah, so. yeah. All right. Well, they got to Cleveland tonight, right? Again? Cleveland for a couple more, yes. Yeah, so if they if they basically win up, we're up seven games now in the division. If they win the next two, we're up nine games. It's over. I mean, it's it, there's nine games in a month. That's That would be all time. Would, would that be the most a team would be able to overcome in, a, in the month of September? I don't think so. I think it's like It'd seven be a or eight. Lot, yeah. yeah. At least they don't play Detroit nine more times. Or the of the freaking <laughs> Royals for some reason. We we basically the Kansas City Royals have forty one wins. One tenth of those are against the Twins. <laughs> so, uh, why? All right, uh, we're done with sports. I just want to get this out because I'm feeling this odd feeling inside my body called optimism towards the Twins. And actually, I'm excited about it. the Women's Hockey League. I think that might be pretty good. I, I actually have hope for that. Like the Women's Soccer League. I mean, the Aurora are, fa- are fantastic. I, I, I'm i more for it because that's just more things to do in this town, and this town kicks butt. So why not? Uh, we do not have our usual guest today. Who do we have with us? So we are switching things up and speaking to Walker Orenstein over at MinPost as he recently wrote an article talking about how in rural Minnesota they are really struggling to find workforce housing where – Oftentimes, you uh, get businesses that want to hire employees in a small town, but there's nowhere to live. Had a great example of this Polaris factory up in Roseau, where mm. there was such a lack of housing that workers were having to be housed in a hotel, and then they got kicked out of the hotel when a hockey tournament came to town. So it's the, okay. you need to do that to be able to set up your economic development and last, if you don't have a place to live. Last hour, I'm talking about the fact that these rural and people in rural Minnesota are not looking at their own problems. They're looking at conspiracy theories and stuff like this. And the reality is, I think the Republican politicians that represent these people are not doing them this because this is the kind of thing, well, that's a private sector thing. They can do it. Well, no, because the private sector is not building the buildings. You need to do something out there because you don't have anything to house the workforce. Yeah, exactly. And Ugh. you end up losing so many workers and potential jobs coming to your town, which of course is an economic benefit if you don't have a place to house these workers and it's a massive problem. Thankfully, the DFL helped out with this new program that is going to significantly expand a a state program that helps uh, cities build more affordable housing for workers. But uh, yeah, that was mostly thanks to the DFL. If you get to a point where you can't get a 30-person business to move into your town because there's just not enough housing in the the town to deal with 30 people, that's your problem. And I think that that's, that's, that's what's holding back a lot of these rural communities from excelling forward. You know, broadband is a huge help out there, but this housing issue and daycare issues, these are things that have to be dealt with. So I'm glad Walker Ornstein, who, by the way, has been writing some fantastic articles over at MinPost. But there is one solution to this housing shortage in rural Minnesota, banning more books. Banning books. (laughs) Stop that. Dr. Seuss my ass. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Green eggs and what? Commie. (laughs) Uh, hey, with that, let's go to Brett talking to Walker Orenstein from MinPost right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Brett Johnson with you here on a Tuesday afternoon. Well, today we are going to be talking about the shortage of affordable housing in rural Minnesota. Because finding housing in small towns can be very, very tough. In fact, I know from some firsthand experience even about a decade ago when I was trying to get my start in radio and the difficulty in trying to, well, find any sort of place to be able to rent in uh, very small towns. I was uh, working uh, for a while at a small town in Iowa, and it was very difficult finding anywhere that I could afford. I eventually did luck out, but I have many other horror stories of other people who were in radio trying to find 
uh, affordable housing in rural communities, and it's very, very difficult. And, of course, it expands just beyond radio. Uh, many other many other professions also uh, are struggling to find affordable housing in rural America. So that's why I brought in Walker Orenstein of MinPost. As he recently wrote an article titled, Greater Minnesota Workers Cannot Find Housing well, an extra $40 million from the state help. As we're going to be chatting about a new program here from, or an expanded program that the Minnesota legislature passed that could help alleviate some of the problems with affordable housing in rural Minnesota. So, Walker, thanks so much for coming back on the show today. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So let's dive into what exactly the problem is with this lack of, well, affordable housing and renting in rural areas of our state as uh, many state officials say, we have an issue with what's called workforce housing, which is housing with rents based on what local employers are paying. So before we dive into the program or some of the problems we're facing, what are the types of communities that are really struggling with the with trying to well find uh, employees in their towns, affordable housing? Describe some of the towns that are running into these issues. Yeah, you know, it's a lot of places across greater Minnesota. A lot of them that have good, strong employers um, that have even a lot of the time, you know, want to bring jobs in um, that have been struggling. I was talking to Bradley Peterson, who is executive director of the Coalition of Greater Minnesota Cities, and he's like, everywhere I go this summer, I've heard about this as a top issue. And so just, you know, a couple classic examples, like Roseau with Polaris has had a lot of problems with this over the years. You know, I know, um, you know, in Wyndham, um, there are some folks testifying at the legislature about workers having to bust from North Mankato to a, a high-life pork plant there, although that pork plant has since closed. You know, uh, some of the cities getting money through this workforce housing program in the past. You know, I, I went and, uh, down to talk to the folks in Plainview, Minnesota, but, you know, places like Alexandria, Cold Spring, Grand Marais, Dassel, Boston, Pipestone, War Road. You know, it's just kind of all over the state. Wasika's had problems. Um, I think it's fair to say that there's a ton of city officials kind of looking at this as a really big challenge for them. Well, what are some of the root causes of uh, the lack of a rural affordable housing? Is this uh, simply not enough, uh, not enough housing units available or expensive new construction? I'm curious what some of these causes are as to why we're in this situation that we are right now. Yeah, and it's worth saying that, like, there's a lot of different types of housing issues in greater Minnesota and in rural areas. You know, there's not necessarily only a need for one type of housing. Like in Plainview, the mayor said, like, we have housing needs across the board, you know, and um, there's issues finding housing uh, for seniors, you know, for them to move if they want to outside of, you know, to something like an assisted living facility. And our long-term care system has problems. There's problems building starter homes in a lot of places. Um, what I kind of looked at real specifically in, in this case was uh, what you mentioned earlier, which is workforce housing. And so that's not necessarily like what we consider affordable housing in the sense of like subsidized, you know, like a, the specific definition of affordable housing. But it's, you know, housing that sort of matches the wages that the local employers are paying. And even when it's pretty decent wages, it can be tough to have enough housing for those people. And um, there's a lot of different factors. Um, it's com- complex. You know, there's an interesting study that I linked to in my story that's worth looking at. But, you know, from a base level, here's a couple of reasons is, you know, developers say that the costs just don't pencil out, basically. Like, the, you know, in Plainview, the mayor was telling me, Mayor Aaron Luxine was telling me that, you know, for a developer, um, 
the cost of, say, construction materials and and labor and those sorts of things are the same, essentially, building in Plainview as building in a bigger city like Rochester. Um, and while there, it may be a little easier in some ways to build in a place like Plainview, um, you know, they also can't necessarily charge the same rates. And so uh, rents, you know, once you build, say, a multifamily apartment building. And so, yeah, there's a lot of complicated factors, but that's one of them. And, and right now, as, you know, construction costs have risen and inflation is, you know, with inflation and um, interest rates are up, there's just a lot of a lot of pressure on these developers. Um, and I know one thing that um, I've heard looking at this program on workforce housing is it's also hard sometimes for um, smaller cities and towns to just find developers that will come in and build types of housing that they need. You know, they may be more interested um, in bigger cities or just have more of a connection there. And so trying to actually find the, the developer can be a challenge as well. Yeah, let's dive a little more into that. Why, why is multifamily housing a struggle to build with affordable rents in, in many of our rural communities? Yeah, I mean, it, sort of what I just, you know, explained is a little bit like, you know, the the financing just kind of doesn't mm-hmm. pencil out for them at the end of the day. And, and so that's kind of a big thing. You know, that report that I mentioned said um, just in, in general, like, you know, uh, Young families can be priced out of contention for starter homes, which isn't multifamily housing. But then there's also issues like, uh, you know, uh, finding places for seniors to live after that. But, yeah, when it comes to actual multifamily homes piece of it, I think, you know, a big part of it is just that the finances don't seem to add up. I mean, Bradley Peterson, again, from the coalition, Greater Minnesota Cities, said he he felt the problem in Greater Minnesota is essentially a, a market failure. You know, you just very hard to do affordably, even where employers are paying good wages. Uh, it's just a financial question doesn't work very well for developers in a lot of cases. Yeah, I want to go back to a clarification you made, too. Uh, when I was mentioning affordable housing, yeah, I'm not necessarily talking about, you know, the government subsidized housing. It's it's more of kind of, I don't know how to call it, maybe a gray area where you do have, as you were describing, employees who are making good wages, but they're unfortunately too much to qualify for affordable housing. So they're kind of lost in that hole right now where they they make too much to get those government subsidies but then again the rent is uh is still too high for them to be able to afford or same with mortgages as well so i'm curious what employees in some of these towns are doing right now to to at least find housing because as you wrote in your article there are some uh, rather drastic lengths that employees of some of these places are having to go to in in order to to find housing yeah absolutely and i'll just bring up rozo again like i was writing in 2021 um, that the city there itself literally turned into like a housing developer to try and build um, an apartment building. Um, the Polaris is a great example of somewhere that wants to bring in jobs and does pay, you know, good wages um, and has had this huge struggle um, to have workers be able to find housing. Um, so up there, you know, they've had to have workers living in hotels only for those workers to have to couch surf when hockey tournaments come to town because there's an influx of people to the city and that's really important economic development for them um, and economic driver for them and Rozo. So that's just, you know, one example, you know, Scott McMahon, he's the executive director of a nonprofit um, called Greater Minnesota Partnership. He testified about this circumstance and I believe the city was New York Mills where he said, um, you know, a small city with a major manufacturing plant tried to recruit two employees and then discovered both were bidding on the one available house. The one that actually got the house had to turn down the job, and the one that didn't get the house didn't, you know, take the job, didn't even move to Minnesota. 
Um, you know, I've heard all sorts of stories, you know, cities have been trying to get creative, you know, giving away land or, you know, various, you know, tax relief measures for developers. Um, like I said, you know, some cities just trying to build directly on their own. You know, I've heard of uh, employers essentially stepping in to act as a housing developer. I mean, there's just been a lot of drastic <laughs> steps that people have had to take, um, which just illustrates how difficult it has been in a lot of areas of the state. Well, as I mentioned at the top of the interview, the Minnesota legislature did approve an expansion of a program which could help somewhat at least alleviate the problem as they, as the legislature expand, or passed an expansion of its workforce housing program in small to mid-sized cities. And it certainly appears that this program is in big demand as uh, they used to have just a $2 million budget per year. And I believe in the most recent reporting cycle, they had 23 applicants for that money requesting $19 million. So they had a $2 million budget, but $19 million of requests. But the legislature has approved at least a one-time expansion of that program to $40 million. So let's talk about what that $40 million will mean and where that money could be spent in terms of trying to, well, help this crisis in rural rural Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I just find interesting about this expansion is it's just, you know, it's part of a larger $1 billion housing budget bill, which has a lot of other, you know, pieces to it aimed at trying to ease housing problems across the state. And it's also just one in a long example of, you know, smaller government programs that the legislature opted this year to expand really significantly. You know, this goes from, yeah, $2 million a year, $4 million over the two-year budget cycle to, like, $40 million. It's a pretty darn big expansion. Um, it, You know, there were a couple changes in the program, a couple small changes, but basically what it does is it just, will serve more people trying to apply for this money. So, you know, cities um, apply for this. Usually, you know, it can be a, a economic development authority or something like that. But, you know, local governments will apply for the money, you know, and work with the developer, and, and it helps sort of bridge the financing gap, as it were. Um, and I think one thing that's really interesting is, like, over in Plainview, you know, they had been a recipient of this money, um, and the money that they got, was just ended up not even being enough. They got a $1.3 million grant from the state for a 43-unit apartment building. Um, and as higher interest rates came in and pricier construction costs, they've actually had to pause that project. And they're like, we might even apply for more of this money, right? Like, it's just even a problem there. And th- that $1.3 million was by far the biggest award of that grant round. So it just illustrates, again, the difficulty of this. And um, I-, I-, I think that state officials absolutely just expect you know a lot of applications asking for this money um it'll be interesting to see if there's demand to to use all of it but again worth noting that like many things with this big surplus it's temporary um it was one-time money and so the budget you know without new action by the legislature would essentially revert to its smaller form later on so it'll be interesting to see you know how much gets built and, and what they can do with this bigger pot of money yeah, that's where I wanted to go in terms of, well, what happens when it goes back to that $2 million, because that's significant, where all of a sudden we have at least a year of uh, having $40 million of grants, and then it potentially goes back down to $2 million. So what exactly does happen then? Are we, As you kind of mentioned, we could have a, maybe a, a big influx of demand, or is there any thoughts of the legislature of permanently expanding this plan? Because uh, that, that could be significant coming up in 26 when that $40 million goes back down to two. 
Sure. Yeah, I'm not sure if there's been a debate over, you know, permanent expansion of this. I know that it's a program that Democrats like. And frankly, Republicans in the housing sphere don't have an issue with or tend to like um, sort of on a surface level. Um, I will say, you know, it's it's uh, since it is money for sort of like one time construction projects, it, it's not like it leaves anybody, you know, hanging, as it were. It's not a cliff in which, you know, somebody will be sort of left, you know, expecting money that won't get money. But there just is a limited amount. So, you know, they'll they'll use what they can, they'll build money or they'll build projects with this money and then they'll just be less available. So as there continues to be demand, if there continues to be demand, which I assume there would be, there's just kind of less to go around. Um, so I'm, I, you know, I know it'll depend on lawmakers interests and, you know, the state's finances and, and how, how probably this goes to see if they want to kind of continue to put money in uh, a larger amount of money into the program. Um, but for now, yeah, it is just kind of a one-time, one-time shot. And, of course, this program was expanded by the DFL-controlled Minnesota State Legislature and signed by DFL Governor Tim Walls. But I am curious what the Republicans' approach is in terms of uh, trying to find uh, housing that can be affordable for some of these new workers in rural Minnesota, since obviously Republicans do predominantly uh, represent rural areas in Minnesota right now. What are they saying needs to be done with this program? What kind of solutions are they proposing? Yeah, so, like I said, generally speaking, Republicans don't oppose this program, like Senator Rich Dreheim, he's a Republican from Madison Lake, um, who's been a big uh, housing, um, you know, interested in housing lawmaker for Republicans. You know, he said it's a good program at a hearing in February. Um, Senator Eric Lucero, who's the top Republican on the Senate's housing committee, um, he's also a real estate agent, said grants like this are absolutely important when housing is an issue across the state. Um, But his view on it is this is kind of a temporary shot in the arm rather than a long-term solution to kind of a complicated problem. So he's like, yeah, this is great for now, but, you know, you're not really doing anything to solve the root cause here. Um, And so, you know, he cites data from Housing First Minnesota. It's a trade association for residential builders um, showing that, you know, even though costs of things like building materials and interest rates should be similar across states, the overall price tag for building um, you know, say a starter home or, you know, just residential building is higher in Minnesota due to things like, you know, building codes, fees, other regulations. Um, the legislature approved other, you know, mandates this year that Lucero said would make labor more expensive, like the new paid family leave program. Um, it's worth noting, you know, Republicans, uh, Dreheim in particular, sponsored this bill that's also been proposed in the House by DFLer Steve Elkins of Bloomington. Very complicated, but it basically alters many aspects of planning and zoning regulations. And it's an effort to make it easier to develop housing that supporters called, you know, compromise and a long running disagreement between cities and home builders and that sort of this disagreement over, you know, should the state kind of step in um, to override some of the local rules and regulations and, you know, mess with fees and things like that. And cities generally want them to you know, the state government to kind of stay out of that. And so there's been kind of these long-running debates. You know, Lucero had a bill this year would have banned cities from requiring, you know, specific materials or designs that are just sort of aesthetic in nature that aren't required by our state building code. You know, a city couldn't set a minimum square footage requirement. Um, worth noting, neither of those things passed, and Republicans have other, you know, ideas, but those are just a, a couple of things that I saw as I was kind of out reporting this. So, yeah, again, they, they view it as not necessarily a bad thing, the grant program, and in fact a good thing, but that it is not really the solution here. 
um, that there should be bigger measures taken. Well, we are just about out of time, but you can read more about uh, and more details about uh, what's happening in greater Minnesota with workers that are struggling to find affordable housing. Again, greater Minnesota workers can't find housing. Will an extra $40 million help? Find that over at minpost.com. That's minpost.com. As we have been speaking with the author of that article, Walker Orenstein of MinPost, who's been joining us on the show today. Walker, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been great. And let's send things back over to Matt McNeil, up next on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. We're next Tuesday. We're going to have Alan Miller on the air with us. Alan Miller! I haven't, had Matt, I haven't seen him forever. Uh, I love him. Filled in for a long time here. Of course, uh, kind of a little bit of a local... Media legend. He's got a new book out. We'll talk to him then. Just uh, give you a little heads up here. We are going to have uh, best of shows on Friday and Monday for your Labor Day weekend. So be advised. I'm going to be heading out to the fair where Raising One Brow on Twitter has gotten in touch with me to give me the heads up on one of the new things. They tried the pickle lemonade. It wasn't bad until the last few gulps (laughs) when it started tasting like we just opened a jar of plastic and started chugging. Yum! <laughs> so I think the, uh, what, the what I'm gathering from that is you want to stir it with yeah, your straw you keep, little bit. Keep, a, keep you... a mixology going on there. You notice the word yum and yuck are pretty close to each other. I'm just going to make that point to you out there, 952-946-6205. Hey, you know, just running with the theme of Republicans in rural parts of the state are gone wacko crazy, and the fact that they're not dealing with actual issues dealing with their community, let's head on down to the beautiful community of Red Wing, shall we? Where the (laughs) Minnesota State Representative Pam Altendorf, Republican, has posted a video on Twitter criticizing a Target store for building more pickup parking spaces and starting a fear campaign. What? Wait, what? 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 Okay, Pammy. Um, I'm sure there are things going on in Red Wing that, you know, housing crisis, cost of daycare, uh, road construction, stuff like that, maintenance of the parks, business expansions. I, I imagine there are things you could be working on right now. Your focus, <laughs> this is from uh, Heartland Signal, your focus is basically to call the expanded pickup parking at Target a fear campaign. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. I'm intrigued. In the video, Altendorf insinuated that Target is preparing for something. Oh, could they be preparing for people to come pick up product? Uh, the holiday? No, okay. Never. Yeah. She's insisting that Target is preparing for something, possibly a revival of COVID restrictions. What? By building 24 more pickup spaces so customers don't have to go into the store and instead use curbside pickup. Okay, Pam. Okay, Pam, 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 Pam. 
people use this because we as a society are lazy. Okay. They can just order their stuff and then have someone drop it off for them. Um, that would, it, it's, it's, oh, okay. She expressed concern because the four spots that the store already has don't seem to be utilized right now. Once again, pro-business Republicans. Okay, uh, this is a quote here. Just, you know, something to think about as we move into the fall here, unquote. No, actually, I, I'm going to take a show of hands here. Who here wants to obsess over the amount of parking spots in the Target? Uh, not me. I, I don't, I don't want to think about that. Do you? Does anyone else want to think? I don't think we want to think about that. Because that seems like stupid things to think about. I got things about like, oh, I don't know, apple picking, Halloween, oh, raking leaves, football. I mean, there are a lot of things I can think of. I don't, I don't know how much time I really want to waste on the Target Store's nefarious campaign for convenient pickup. <laughs> is Pam okay? Seriously, is Pam all right? Do we know if Pam's all right here? Altendorf said in the video, you know, we're starting to hear a lot of things reported. COVID's on the comeback. Might have to go back to masking. All of this. Um, who's we? Who's we are? Uh, Altendorf's office did not immediately. <laughs> Altendorf's office did not immediately respond to clarify our comments in the post. Uh, I'm sure, uh, can I take a guess? I'll just take a wild guess of what that phone call was like. She said, what now? Um, in the video, she also urged people to question what they're planning for. Huh? Huh? So is Pam Altendorf saying that she wants the Target store in Red Wing to shut down and move? Because it sounds like she has picked up, this is her new villain. This is their new villain. The 50-year-old representative started serving in the 20A district after first being elected in 2022. During her short time in office, Altendorf opposed much of the popular policies the now democratically-led Senate of Minnesota, a state of Minnesota, has offered. These laws include paid family and medical leave program, a clean energy bill, legislation requiring high schools to offer ethnic study courses, which she said would cause division. <laughs> She also spoke at the anti-COVID vaccine rally just after taking office. So, you know, balanced. Um, but now, once again, according to Pam Altendorf, the biggest problem we have to face this year, and folks, are you prepared? How many parking spots are dedicated at the Target for pre-arranged pickup? Seriously, how, what, what in the hell? I'm stunned. Bravo, you've actually now gotten into the, you know, you know I mean, I, I guess we're only a few steps away from Pan Altendorf being on the side of the road rubbing gravel into her hair. I, I don't know where she's going with this. But, I mean, I don't know. Okay, Pam, can I just take a quick moment here? You know, the holiday season's coming up. You know, Jesus. 
and uh, Christmas, you know, and all that stuff. And it might just be that their their online shopping, where people come and pick up their product in advance, is becoming wildly popular. And especially during the holidays, they don't have enough spots outside, so they've dedicated a few more spots. So that when you go there in oh, I don't know, a late August day and you look at the four parking spots at a certain time and they're not full, that that might not be indicative of the actual need for parking spots later on the year, especially when the holiday shopping season gets going. But that's just me. That's just, I'm crazy. I'm insane. I'm insane. I think about the parking spots in a major department store. I'm crazed. (laughs) Hey, there you go, Red Wing. Quality representation. Quality representation. Thank God. Thank God she's dealing with the the important issues that you have been screaming about, Red Wing. There you go. 952. Jesus. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. Once again, uh, this courtesy of heartlandsignal.com. That news story. Back to other news. Uh, I'm going to bring this up again because um, I, I brought this up yesterday morning, and I and I, I, I okay I I'm concerned at what the real motivation is going on here. Concerns over new state law related to student restraints is prompting some districts to rethink and, in some cases, pause partnerships that put police officers in schools. School resource officer programs in Andover and Moorhead were recently put on hold as a result of the change. Others, including Burnsville, Egan, Savage, are in the meeting on the matter per the Star Tribune. The new language passed as part of a broader education bill seeks to ban employees and agents from holding students face down in a prone position or via a comprehensive restraint to the head, neck, or across most of the torso. Okay. So you can't hold students in a prone position a la how Derek Chauvin held down George Floyd. This is this is a problem? I mean, I, I, I'm not quite sure. I think we can all agree that that's probably not the best way to hold a kid down. Considering grown men actually killed another man on camera doing that. Um, the other side of comprehensive restraints to the head, neck, and across most of the torso. How many times have we had seen uh, neck holds lead to the death of a suspect? These are high school kids. In some cases, junior high kids. I'm okay with not putting a 13-year-old in a neck hold, which could kill them. I'm, I'm okay with that. Um. Law enforcement groups say the language could limit school resource officers' ability to respond to dangerous or criminal conduct or lead to lawsuits against those who do intervene. Now, okay, stop for a second. All right. So what I'm hearing here is this. If you are a resource officer in a school and you see two people starting to fight, you can grab the hand of the individual. Um, You can... It sounds like you can grab them by the arms to try to prevent them from swinging at each other. If they were to hit a police officer, and then all of a sudden we're talking about a crime, so you know, then you know, I I think we all can agree that you know, if if a student is physically assaulting an officer in the school, that that's a different thing. In the same sense as that, if that officer came across somebody 
and they were selling drugs, which is committing a crime, um, then yeah, that they can still arrest them and put them in the cuffs. I don't think anyone's saying they can't do that. And so I don't quite get what the problem here is. Is it just is this just some sort of case? where law enforcement wants the ability to basically beat on a kid in school and not have any accountability on it? Because once again, the things that are, are restrained is that they, they cannot hold the student face down in the prone position. They can't do comprehensive restraints on the head, neck, and across the, the upper torso. So you're trying to prevent people from getting choked or getting a head injury or, you know, some big barrel-chested officer from, you know, basically, you know, crushing someone on the chest. I get, I can get all three of those. And clearly, I don't think after we learned with George Floyd, we don't want people being held face down on the ground in the prone position anymore with an officer on their back. So what, what, is, what is, what's the problem here? I, I just... All right, I'm going to take a break. 952-946-6205. 952-946-6205. We'll talk more about this when I come back. Wrap up the show before we get to Native Roots Radio coming up here at 5. It's the Matt McNeil Show right here on AM 950. AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So... Basically, there are some very specific things you can't do. You can't put them in a head, you know, lock. You can't put them in a neck lock. You can't grab them tightly around the chest, and you can't leave them prone on the floor with you know, on back of them, holding them on the face down on the ground. I, I think those are all fine. Where is where are the law enforcement people saying that this is a problem? That they they can't do anything. They're concerned that lawsuits, it could lead to lawsuits against those who do intervene. But they, uh, if they're acting as an agent of the school, the new legislative changes put them in a position where they're all practical. All they do is remain hands-free. Well, no. I just said they can grab them by the hand. If someone's hitting someone, they can grab them by the hand. What they can't do is grab them by the neck. And so Jeff Potts, executive director of the Minnesota Chiefs of Police Association, you know, is the person that said they have to remain hands-free. But others, the, uh, the attorney general has basically said, issued a legal opinion last week saying the new language does not limit the use of force to prevent injury or death as long as the force is reasonable. So basically, if you come across two people fighting in the in the hallway, you can basically use force to prevent injury or death. You can basically, it, it sounds like, even violate these things you're not supposed to do because you're trying to prevent injury or death. Governor Walls recently told reporters that his staff reviewed the change and that there are exceptions for the health and safety of students and the officers. I certainly think we should agree that we should not be on the necks of students unless someone's life is at risk. But once again, if the, someone's life is at risk, it sounds like you are authorized to basically do these things which they're saying you can't do. Some of the state's biggest school districts, including Minneapolis-St. Paul, had already cut their formal school resource officer programs. Meanwhile, in Bloomington, officials will follow through on the adding officers to two middle schools, but plan on to call in outside support when force could be needed. Law enforcement groups, along with GOP legislators, have called on the legislature to pass legislation clarifying the law. Without the special session, the earliest it could happen is next February, and it doesn't sound like they're going to 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 do that anytime soon. I, I this just seems to me 
like, okay, some people put some common sense laws into place that you just, you just can't walk down the hall and say some obnoxious 10th grader says, oh, look, it's a pig to the cop that the cop can no longer just pick up the kid by one hand by the throat and say, what did you call me? Which I think we all can agree is probably a good thing. I, I don't... It clearly seems like there is plenty of wiggle room here that, that first of all, you can grab someone by the wrist. You can grab someone by the shoulder and the wrist and get them around. What you probably can't do is just, if you have probable cause, break their freaking arm. But from the way this law sounds, if you feel as if you're saving, you're preventing an injury or saving the life of someone else, well, yeah, you probably can still break their arm. So I'm not quite sure what these 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 police officers are doing. I mean, when they say, "Well, we could be subject to a law you know, to a lawsuit," yeah, if you're just running through the school and pounding on the kids, yeah, that might be cause for a lawsuit. But you shouldn't probably be doing that anyway, right? I mean, at least that's the way I see this. I, I just, I don't quite understand. You can still grab these kids if they're being a danger. You just can't put them in a neck hold. You can't grab them by the head. You can't, you know, be on their back like Derek Chauvin was on George Floyd. And you're, the fact that you guys are so upset and bothered that you can't do this stuff, which, by the way, you still can do this stuff if you have determined that the life of the child or there's a serious injury potential. I, I think this is the, the this is what you see with the bare minimum of trying to rein, rein in aggressive police tactics is a bunch of people saying, well, I can't just go and choke any student anymore. So henceforth, we're just going to pull our officers out of here. And I'm like, okay, wait a second here. I, I, I'm i not seeing this outrage, all right? And once again, if the student's life is in danger or there's a chance of injury, it sounds like all bets are off. You can use whatever you want to to use this. I just, this just seems like how dare you try to regulate us will show you. Okay, uh, Native Roots Radio up next. Hey, we are back on a Wednesday with Stein. Till then, see ya.